Hey guys, just a quick note before today's episode. As you'll hear in just a few minutes, we did get some new mics, which is really great, but we're still kind of trying to figure out how to use them. So you are going to hear just a slight echo on my audio. Um, Unfortunately, this is going to be probably for this episode and maybe the next one, but we are trying really hard to get it figured out so that you don't have to listen to crap audio all the time. Um, We do appreciate your patience and enjoy the new episode. Book. Oh, and he uh, wrote here, handfuls of sharp needles. <laughs> oh, whatever is he going to do with that? Um, that's little Albert Fish, sir. He's on the naughty list. Oh, <laughs> okay. Hopefully a little cold should stir up any long-term psychotic effects. <laughs> oh, well, uh, how about little Johnny here? A clown suit, some face paint, and uh, a van. Mm, sounds... Innocent enough? Uh, sir, Johnny. As in little Johnny Wayne Gacy? Yes, yes, that's the one. Naughty. Really? What about little Jeff Dahmer? Naughty. Little Elizabeth Borden? Naughty. Uh, Patrick Bateman? Naughty. Ricky Ramirez? Naughty. Oh, what about little Eddie Gain? <laughs> Naughty. Well, fuck it. Oh, Santa. No, fuck it. This job just gets harder every fucking year. Well, sorry, sir. Times are changing. Oh, little baby Jesus, where are you? Oh, is there anyone on the good list? What about those two podcast girls? You know, Vicky and Janelle. Um, yes, yes, it seems they're on the good list. Oh, oh, hot damn, you see? Load up the sleigh. Let, let's get out of here. Unblitzen, whatever the fuck your name is. Let's fly, you filthy animals, to the bad taste crime cast. Start singing like holiday music. It's band taste time. That's terrible. Welcome back, guys. Hey, it's the holidays. Holidays. <laughs> yes. It's the bad taste crime cast. In case you didn't fucking know what you turned on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. Do we sound awesome? We should. 
because we new got microphones. some new mics. Tiff. I feel like fucking Mariah Carey over here. Like I should be holding my ear. Yeah. Like it definitely <laughs> looks a little more legit. Up in a lot here. more legit. Yeah. <laughs> Tiff splurged on Black Friday and hey got girl. some new mics and some pop filters. Yes. So we can pop our peas all we want. Ugh, ugh, please don't. Oh. <laughs> I hate like. Sorry. It's <laughs> one of my pet peeves. I say oh. P words very delicately. Oh, the hard P sounds? <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. So you don't talk about penis very often then. Oh my god. There is someone at work <laughs> who says words like that. Like, puh, 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 puh. Like, literally, like, someone's shooting off a fucking paintball gun. And I just want to be like, shut your mouth! (laughs) I hate it. Oh, no. Over-enunciation is not okay. (sighs) Rant over. Alright. It's the holidays. No no time to be angry. Christmas is one week away. Yes. Hopefully everybody's ready. I am. If this is your first (laughs) time listening, a special holiday hello to you. Yeah, you like that? (laughs) I do. Yes. We got a lot of great stuff planned, as always. But first, actually, I remember what we should have started with. It's so weird looking at you directly. Yeah, we're actually (laughs) sitting across from each other at a table (laughs) instead of next to each other, which is what we were doing, crowding around one microphone. Peering over the top of this filter. I can't even see your mouth moving. I know. Well, sometimes. I'm a ventriloquist. (laughs) Um, Somebody just had a birthday. Ugh. Who was it? Do oh, you, it was me. <laughs> do, should we talk about the the number? Should we talk about oh, that, yeah. that dirty number? I've been 30 internally for like eight years. <laughs> Janelle had a big 3-0. Yes. Happy birthday! Thanks. You made it this far. I never thought That's I'd see so 30. Exciting. Yes. <laughs> I survived. <laughs> Can they do I survived episodes on yes. people who make it to 30? <laughs> I survived. 30 achieved. <laughs> Did I unlock something? Yeah. Achievement unlocked. No. Uh, um, midlife crisis? Is, someone, is that now or is that another my, 10 years? One of my friends is like, oh, you're 30, like, don't worry, it's going to be great. And I was like, I had my midlife crisis when I was like 15. I'm good. It's <laughs> like, I've been there, done that. I'm probably going to have a late life crisis, right. is what I'm thinking. I don't know why people make such a, gonna, you know... But that's maybe because I'm just like a procrastinator. I'll just put it off that long <laughs> and then have a late life crisis. But oh, then no. I won't deal with it till after See, I'm I done, like to so get everything fine. out of the way early. So, like, I was all done with that before I was 21. <laughs> <laughs> so, in honor of your birthday, I did get you a little something that's yes. sitting right next to you. Yeah. I can't actually hand it to you because I'm too I far started away. to open it and you're like... Do it on air. You should do it. You, made, you I did, did it to me. You open my present air. It's just a little something something. I wonder if it's a book. It could be. It's book shaped. It is. Okay. Oh, no. I hope you haven't read this one. I yet. haven't. Okay. But I do enjoy him. Yes. Um, she got me, I can never say his name, John Krakauer. Krakauer? Yeah, Krakauer. I think that's what it is. Um... It's under the banner of heaven, a story of violent faith. Yeah, so it's about um, two guys who claimed that they'd received a message from God. They're part of the Mormon church. They claimed they received a message from God to kill a woman and her child that were also within the faith, which... Which yes. you know anything this about is, Mormons, they yeah. do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's very, um, it's kind of this look, too, at some of the, I think, abuses within the church. I yeah. haven't read it yet, but I've heard really, like, rave reviews about that. 
sounds amazing. That. So you'll have it to says, let me know. Uh, on the front, fantastic, right up there with In Cold Blood and the Executioner song. Now, that to me... Does That's that? uh that puts it high up there. <laughs> like it better fucking be as good as in cold blood. <laughs> you can't just say that to me. <laughs> this is also the trip that I picked up my friend Dahmer, which I was really oh, excited yeah? about. Oh yeah. Yes. Which I didn't know was a graphic novel, but you know. There there's that. <laughs> That's a thing. That's so, real. yeah, I'm really excited to read that one. Um so Thank happy you, birthday. Mickey. You're welcome. Yeah, my birthday was filled with creepy stuff. <clears throat> we also went to the uh International Museum of Surgical Science in Chicago. Which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah. Until you told me. I saw lots of skulls and I saw lots of stabby things, so it was good. It's a good time. <laughs> yes. Everybody's ideal just like right? day out in the city. It's going to look I at saw books utensils. I couldn't touch and <laughs> it's like open this place. <laughs> um so we wanted to go back and provide a little update mm-hmm. on one of our previous episodes. It was the episode which oh god, I can't even remember which one it was now. Um where we talked about uh, it was, it was Thanksgiving. The millicide. Yeah, yeah, it was Thanksgiving. Um, the guy who had the trailers hooked up together. Yes, it was your he guy. Killed his whole yeah. family. Um, we had <laughs> had a question about um, he was appealing being, on behalf of someone else. Yeah, right. And we kind of put a call out to Jillian, who is and our she answered friend of the pod that knows legal stuff. She's, we she's don't. our legal guru. Yes, she is. we're gonna have legal corner with Jillian. Yeah. So we did get a little update from her. Yeah, she consulted with another person that works in the law firm that she does and they kind of like sent us back like a little explanation um so i'm going to read what the lawyer wrote um which i found pretty interesting so uh they said that it looks like a standing problem the rule is basically that if one is competent and able to take action in court and chooses not to another person can't assert rights on their behalf or can't or can can assert rights on their behalf as a next friend sorry it's like pixelated that i'm trying yeah. to read it it's like super tiny <laughs> i need a magnifying glass <laughs> if that were not the case you can imagine people interviewing and making decisions that affect the life of a perfectly competent but compelled plaintiff and doing so for their own purposes and not out of interest for the person they're using in that capacity um, also, one basic tenet of standing is that to have a case, you have to establish an injury specific to you. The injury has to be fairly concrete and particular to the would-be plaintiff. That's why animal rights groups have t- have had difficulty at times challenging government regulations that they see as damaging to the environment. Oh. They've been told they lack standing because despite their acute interest in the wildlife, they can't show a specific injury distinguishable from how the rest of society is injured generally by the regulation. Did you say cute or acute? Acute. I thought you said, like, their cute little interest. (laughs) The U.S. Supreme Court said Whitmore's injury was at best speculative unless he could show that reversal of Simmons' conviction... Um, for killing 16 would directly benefit Whitmore for killing his one of one. In short, I guess this argument was that if the death penalty could be determined legally unjust for a mass murderer, then necessarily it would be excessive and unjust for him too. Sorry, I read that so terribly. I am still like recuperating it from was a hangover. A long weekend. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so that actually, that definitely answers our question. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Thank you so much. Jillian Sorry I sounded firm. like a third grader <laughs> reading their paper aloud. It's good to know that if we are ever, well, I feel like we're like that a lot, but like if we're ever just like, we really don't know what the fuck we're talking about. We yeah. try to, but. Because, I mean, you can research something so far, but unless you really, I mean, well, especially I have with, a basic understanding of law. Yeah. There's so much small intricate like parts of it that we don't that know. There's like words that I have to look up. And then when you look up those words, it's like, oh no, I have to look up whatever this word is within exactly. this definition. Which is something I totally had to do for today's show. <laughs> <laughs> and segue. Yeah, right. um, but first, mm-hmm. let's head over to the newsroom. So, we want to put out a big thank you to Janelle's boyfriend, Bo, because we, so we <laughs> went out, supporting yeah, no, <laughs> no, we went out to have a drink and kind of celebrate the launch of our merch store, so mm-hmm. it was a big deal, um, and he told us about this story that happened pretty near to us, it was in Elgin, Illinois. Yeah, he doesn't um, really talk about murder very much. Um, but what he does, you can't shut him the fuck up. Yeah. And, and it was hilarious because it's like... I'm kidding, honey. I love you. This crazy story that both of us were like, what? How have we yeah. not heard about this? Elgin's so, pretty ridiculous. <laughs> uh, what happened is a gentleman named Brian Peck, who was 55, he lived at home with his mom. So um, a quality human being. <laughs> she came home and told him that, he, you know, he was just jamming out to some Jimi Hendrix, like you do, and told him that his music was just a little too loud. I mean, it's no Allman Brothers whipping post, but that's another story. <laughs> Ew. Um, so he decided to kill his mom. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was really loud. Yeah, no, he just, so he dismembered her body and then put her remains in the Chicago lakefront over the course of two days in bags and luggage. Um, there were some really crazy things that happened in this case. Hold on, let me pull open the thing. Because they had gone to him and asked um, if he knew anything about her disappearance, etc., etc. He obviously said no at first. Um, When they told him that they had this, they had found some footage. It was like some security camera, um, something like that. They kind of confronted with that. His story changed again. Um, They had said that they found a large bloodstain and cleaning supplies in his mother's bedroom during a search of the home. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brian Peck had told the officers that his mother had fallen and cut her knee on a plate. And knife. Like she was carrying a plate and a knife and dropped them. Her entire bedroom is just littered with plates and knives all over the floor. Um, (laughs) Then they found bloodstains on the furniture in bathrooms and on a steam carpet cleaner that he had purchased on the Thursday prior. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. So they showed him surveillance videos of him purchasing suitcases, duffel bags, and bricks 
plus pictures of the body that they had recovered. And that's when he said that they had an argument over Jimi Hendrix music that he was playing. It was 3.30 in the morning, by the way. He was playing this a little too loud. Um, You can never play Purple Haze too fucking loud. (laughs) He knocked his mother down, stomped on her head and neck. And then when he realized that she was dead, he put her in the bathroom in the guest bedroom and dismembered her body and then proceeded to throw it in. So that happened. Okay, Jimi Hendrix is supposed to mellow you out, not fucking make you like intense as shit. Not if like your mom them. tells you to turn it down. No, you don't it's understand when you turn me, it mom. To Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> mom, you don't understand me. I just want to listen to my music. You don't understand me. I'm how old? Fifty fucking five years yeah. old. Ugh, woof. <laughs> yeah, so that's our little piece of news for the day. We're mm-hmm. gonna jump over to Netflix and kill. I just have one little piece for this. Um, it's a show called A Shot in the Dark. And I have you watched this already? Oh my god! See, I have not yet. It's on my list. Janelle, I've discovered literally does nothing. She sounds like she's really busy. She talks about doing all these things, but I'm pretty sure that she just stays at home, literally 24 hours a day on weekends, and just binge watches TV shows. Because everything I bring up, she's like, "Oh yeah, no, we watched it in like four hours on four times speed, so that we could get it done faster." Am I wrong? No. You know, I just can't help no myself. Shame. No when shame. No something comes on, I'm like, fuck it. Everything out the door. Let's watch this. I also imagine you sitting with those little things that keep your eyelids open. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. You know? You just well, and I knit while blink. I watch these, so it's oh, just like... there you go. See, that's what I need to do is cross and watch my Netflix. <laughs> so this is a documentary series that follows um, a group of what they call stringers, and it's people mm-hmm. who film... Um, like car crashes and have you ever seen the movie Nightcrawler with yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah. It's a real life version of that. <laughs> right. So there are, yeah, so there are actually people, they're kind of, they're almost like freelancers mm-hmm. um, that will sell their shots and video to the highest bidder, essentially, yep. these news networks and stuff, which sounds really terrible. They do catch um, some pretty gruesome shit. The thing is, yeah, the thing is, is, as we all know, the news cycle is very much, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, yep. and if you have the best shot, you're going to be making the most money, but it's also exactly. going to be, you know, the thing that people are watching on TV, because that's what people want to see. Yep. So, how was it, since you it's have good. watched it? It's good. It's really good. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by that. I just, I mean, we don't see it a whole lot around here. It's very much something that occurs, like, in L.A. Like, it's a California thing. Yeah. It's, I think that there are certain places that have regulations against taking photos of crime scenes and things like that. Um, yeah. But in L.A., it's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but they, I mean, these people will go to great lengths to, like, climb over top of something and sneak behind these, you know, like, cars to fucking take, like, a picture of a gunshot victim. Yeah. And it seems to me that they take their job very seriously. Oh, yeah. And... They have, like, fucking police blotters, like, constantly going so that they can see, you know? it looks to me, too, that it also takes a toll on them. Like, they take their job seriously, but it's also... It's not like they're taking it lightly either, you know? You're seeing horrible, gruesome shit on a daily basis. They're going out at night, because this is mostly when these things, you know, these big stuff's occurring is overnight. And it's a lot of really terrible shit, like shootings, car crashes. I mean, it's intense stuff. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah. (laughs) On a lighter note. (laughs) It's always light. Yep. 
Bad Taste Crime Cast. <laughs> Keeping it light in here. <laughs> uh, okay, so since it's like obviously the holidays, I'm going to say Christmas because I celebrate Christmas. Sure. You can insert your holiday there. Insert holiday. Uh, <laughs> um, we're going to do some Christmas themed murder stories. Whoop, whoop. Right? You know we love our themes. Yes. <laughs> and Thanksgiving went over so well. Yes. Actually. It was a smash hit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Christmas themed murders. This is the part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Especially mine. Yeah. Um, also mine. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be talking it's about some Christmas. child death. Yes. Um gruesome details etc etc so if you're looking for something to listen around the fire with your family while you open christmas presents this is not it don't do it (laughs) i mean unless you're that kind of family like i feel like i would have that kind of family yeah we talk about murder at the dinner table (laughs) so i had a little bit of a difficult time deciding what case to cover for reasons we will not discuss on this Okay, you can call me out. (laughs) So what happened was, is Janelle had decided on one, and like three days later, after seeing what she had decided on, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to do this one. And I went back, and she had changed her decision to the one that I was going to do. So I had to decide to do a different one. I'm sorry. It's okay. Because the one that you're going to cover is fucking amazing. It is crazy. I know. I started researching one, and I'm like, this is just depressing. There's nothing like, it's just like, oh, it's the Great Depression. And I can't afford anything, so I'm yeah. going to kill my family out of mercy. That's Ugh. a pretty standard murder story from yeah. the Depression. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't, I had to like figure out something else to do, which is not a big deal because it sounds it like a big deal, Vicky. Led me, well, it led me into this, you know, kind of some of these unknown cases mm-hmm. or not well known cases. Um, and luckily it wasn't the problem that I didn't really have a lot to choose from. It was the opposite problem. I didn't have a ton to choose from, which is a good thing, I guess. Um, but I finally settled on this case that I think is really interesting, mainly because the guy is a total fucking scumbag and he literally just will not leave well enough alone. Um, there's not really like a ton of background uh, background on this case, so I'm just going to dive in and it gets... Pretty grisly, really quickly. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I don't um, love that people died. And, but. <laughs> like, seriously, these are very grisly details. I'm okay. warning you ahead of time I'm because it's, like, right off the gates. You yeah. know, my beautiful Christmas um, tree donut. <laughs> yeah. On the plus side, a majority of the research is from an opinion on the case from the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. Okay. So... At least we know most of the facts should be right. <laughs> right? Hopefully. Okay. What are facts? So, who fact yeah. checks who here? Facts are better. <laughs> um, so, in July of 2012... Uh, I'm sorry. Not 2012. You already fucked it up. Two, I know. <laughs> right? Just getting into it. Um, in July of 2002, a man named Ernest R. Wolliver was charged with one of the most heinous crimes ever in Middleton, Middletown, Pennsylvania. Um, he was charged with multiple sexual offenses involving his two daughters. Um, yeah, I told you, I warned you. Um, please stop molesting your children. (laughs) His, his two daughters, Victoria, who was age 20 and Elizabeth. That's your name. Yeah, it is. That's not why I picked this. (laughs) Cause I just, (laughs) never mind. Um, so Victoria was age 20 and Elizabeth aged 15. Um, 
I'm sure I don't really need to explain that Elizabeth would have been underage at the time of the crime that Ernest was being accused mm-hmm. of at 15. Um, and by the way, that crime that he's being accused of was rape. Raping his daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean Wolver, who was Ernest's wife, was able to get an order of protection against him under the Protection from Abuse Act. According to the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence, these orders are meant to provide protection relief for victims of abuse, adults and children, for up to three years. Um, these orders can cover a range of things depending on what the plaintiff is requesting. And all of these requests are considered by a judge to be granted or not. Um, some of these requests include things like asking the judge to order the abuser to stop threatening, abusing, harassing, or stalking the victim. So just stop being a fucking asshole. Right. Stop, <laughs> basically stop being an abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, request that the victim's new address or location remain confidential. So if they move, they don't want them... To, yes. to be found, um, asking the judge for temporary custody of the children, asking for temporary spousal or child support, asking to be paid back for expenses that the victim had as a result of the abuse. So like hospital <laughs> bills or moving expenses. Yeah. Or if like they that. damaged property, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, asking the judge to prohibit the abuser from contacting the victim, victim's children, or family members. And then the two that I... Oops, sorry, there's one more. Hold on. Asking the judge to order any other appropriate relief, like the return of a pet, car keys, important papers, or other personal property. And then the two that I really wanted to highlight that made a difference in this case were asking the judge to make the abuser leave the home or household, even if both parties own it or are on the lease. Mm -hmm. So Ernest was asked to leave the house. Um, And then it was also included in the order that she had gotten asking the judge to order the abuser to turn over any firearms or other weapons. That's an interesting, interesting one. Yeah. And I um, am sure it that's why it's on there to be considered by a judge, because um, as we know, having firearms in the house is definitely a higher risk factor for right. like a homicide to happen mm-hmm. in an abuse case. So, yep, it's a good old fashioned familicide, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so See our Thanksgiving episode, hey, <laughs> shout out. Um, so following this, Ernest left the family home and he moved in with his mother, father, and younger brother named Scott. Um, in Cambria County, which is like three hours west. It's kind of like northwest of Middleton or Middletown, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> Flash forward to December 24th, 2002. Dun, dun, dun. Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Um, Christmas Eve. Ernest decided to pay his now estranged family a little visit and just after midnight took off for Middletown, accompanied by his brother Scott. The two parked about a block away from his wife's house, and Ernest set off to the former home. His brother waited in the car, and Ernest entered the residence and cut the phone lines, making it impossible to get in touch with anybody in case there was trouble. Right. Um, So he forced his way into the residence. He shot his wife, Jean, and both of his daughters, Victoria and Elizabeth, to death with a pistol. 
the oldest daughter, Victoria, of course, this is the holidays, so everybody's over for the holidays. Right. Um, the oldest daughter, Victoria, actually had a daughter of her own named Madison, who was nine months old when this happened. Mm. And she was there. She was left alive, but she was on her own with the dead bodies of her mother and family oh. for a very significant amount of time. Oh my gosh. I mean, that baby could have fucking died. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. not having any sustenance. <laughs> right. And just like the. I had heard just recently, I was listening to what it, it's called Killing on the Cape. It's by ABC. Yeah, yeah. I've actually started listening to it. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things they talk about is the woman who died, her child was there with her body for something like. 48 hours, Mm -hmm. maybe longer um, than that. And she had done things like trying to clean up the scene, trying to, you know, suckle at her mother's breast to be fed, trying to wake her up, like Mm -hmm. things that a child would do, not realizing that they're dead on the floor, you know? So that is like extremely damaging to somebody that young. Um, So Ernest left the home. And returned to where his brother Scott was waiting just a block away. And then the two drove to kind of the middle of nowhere in Clearfield County, so that, which is back, back up northwest in Pennsylvania, and disposed of the pistol, an additional shotgun that was in the car, and some other, like, incriminating evidence, like some, it sounded like some bloody, you know, towels, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, that they had taken with them. The bodies weren't discovered for... Um, 28 hours, and like I said, this entire time, Madison was there with the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, police immediately obtained a search warrant for the house, They and they began gathering evidence of the crime, the uh, scene of the crime. Eventually, they were able to get search warrants for Ernest's residence and truck, which would be his um, parents' house, that's where he was living, and it didn't take long before police had figured out what happened, and Two days later, Ernest was arrested for three counts of first-degree murder. Now, was his brother fully aware of what he had intended to do? I will get to that. Okay. Because Scott basically fully cooperates, um, for the most part, with police and all of this. So... The Commonwealth, because of course in Pennsylvania they have these Commonwealths, so the Mm -hmm. Commonwealth um, basically immediately told them that they were going to seek the death penalty. Um, now, of course, like you said, Ernest's brother Scott was also involved, and he really didn't take long before he pled guilty to get a deal. And so he pled guilty to third-degree murder, and in exchange, he led police to where the two had ditched all of that evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, he, of course, too, was the prosecution's really only key witness to the whole thing. Um, and during his testimony, he said when Jean Wolliver, who was Ernest's wife, told him that she had wanted a divorce, um, he had said that he would shoot her. He also testified that he only drove Ernest to the house because he, Ernest, had told Scott that he wanted to go pick up the dog. Okay. Um, And when he didn't come back with the dog? (laughs) Right? Where's the dog, dude? Dude. Um, According to his testimony, the two were on the way to the house when Ernest had asked Scott to pull the car over so that he could grab something out of the back. And then he told Scott to go park at this place kind of a block away from the house. So at that Mm -hmm. point, he didn't say um, what he was doing. 
Um, so he drove over to the spot and then Ernest showed back up like 10 minutes later. He had said that he was obviously shaken Mm -hmm. and the two left to go dump the evidence. But Scott said he didn't see the shotgun in the car until they had gotten to the dump site and like Ernest had gone to take it out of the car and throw it out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course, due to the ongoing sexual abuse case at the time of the murders, the preliminary hearing testimony from that, from Victoria and Elizabeth, was allowed into the testimony, which means it's time for a little legal minute. Woohoo! Yeah, so um, if any of you follow court cases and you hear things about hearsay evidence, uh-huh. it's a little tricky thing. Yes. Um, so this evidence was allowed in. Under an exception to this hearsay rule, the exception is called forfeiture by wrongdoing. And a lot of times things like hearsay aren't admissible in court because there are statements made about what others have said. So like if Mm -hmm. I went into court and said, I was at the yogurt shop and Janelle told me that she heard that blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Like that's definitely hearsay. Wouldn't really be allowed in court because it's not a um, definitive fact. And it's not like a first person account. account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the exception, however, would allow this testimony to come in because, um, Ernest had intentionally made the girls unable to testify at the trial and Mm -hmm. therefore forfeits his right to, like, have this not admitted under the hearsay rule. Right. So hearsay is one of those tricky things, which is why I kind of wanted to look into this because it's not, um... A lot of times that they let hearsay like that in, Mm -hmm. but because it was an ongoing case at the time of the deaths, they really had to take that into account because it played a huge role on the court uh, trials. So uh, along with what I think was really some pretty overwhelming evidence that they had at trial, (laughs) um, they also were able to present security footage, ballistic evidence, and they had some like jailhouse snitches, which... I'm Not always reliable. a little, yeah. yeah. I'm always I a mean, little like, meh, on Ballistics can also be like, yeah. questionable. They had security footage, though. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty I solid. I mean, you can't totally tamper with that at all. You know what? I'm trying to be positive here. <laughs> I'm just Get going to... Get your negativity to, out of my holiday bubble. It's not negativity. It's healthy skepticism. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, in- I'm 30 now. I'm allowed to be angry at the world. <laughs> Is that how this works? I think so, right? I guess. I feel like you've been angry at the world since you were like 16. Since the dawn of time. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, on top of all of this evidence, the prosecution also found evidence that Ernest had tried to orchestrate the killing of a man named Francisco Ramos, who was the father of his daughter Victoria's child. So, he was the father of his grandchild. Um, While he was in prison, he was trying to orchestrate this killing. And... um, just he, dig yourself a deeper hole. Yeah, sir. this is what I meant at the beginning. How he's, I said he was a scumbag, and mm-hmm. he literally just couldn't. I'm leave like, well why does he alone. need to kill that guy at all? Anyway, well, he <laughs> was also trying to fabricate evidence to frame Mr. Ramos the as murder? the murderer. Okay, I yeah. see where you're going now. Yeah, um, and so I think it was Ugh. part of a larger scheme to like frame him as a murderer and have him killed, kind of thing. Right. Um, either way, it didn't work, and he got caught. So there's that. <laughs> Way to go, Ernest. Um, I feel like there's got to be an Ernest Saves Christmas joke in here somewhere. I know, you keep saying it, I just keep thinking about Ernest. Yeah, I just can't find it right now. No. 
Ernest saves Christmas by murdering his whole family. No. <laughs> no? Sounds like the worst Ernest movie ever. <laughs> Aren't they all the worst Ernest movies I mean, ever? <laughs> if you drink enough. It's all in good it's fun. All good. <laughs> it's all It's all bad taste and good fun. Like this podcast. Hey. <laughs> uh, so on August 31st, 2004, Ernest was convicted of first degree murder for each of the killings, as well as killing prosecution witnesses, which got lumped in. It all got lumped into one case. Um, conspiracy, reckless endangerment for leaving Madison alone mm-hmm. at the house with the bodies, um, burglary, and criminal solicitation for trying to get Francisco Ramos killed. However, he was acquitted of the sexual offenses. Oh my god! Right. Um, so, which we'll of come back all to. the offenses to yeah. be acquitted for. We will come back to that. Um, but for all of this, Ernest received three death penalties. And three months later, his brother Scott was also on trial. And as part of the plea agreement to testify in court, he um, received 12 and a half to 25 years for his part in the crime. Oh, wow. Um, which I think I said was third degree murder, but I'm also thinking it got downgraded to like a conspiracy to murder mm-hmm. or willingly hide evidence kind of a thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So two, he got 12 and a half to 25 years. So let's go back to those sexual abuse charges really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the witnesses for the trial were murdered and therefore were unable to testify at the trial. Um, and that really was the sole reason that the jury acquitted them of the charges. Um, because from a legal perspective, you can't, if you don't hearsay? have anybody to testify. Yeah. Is it hearsay? <laughs> um, the judge presiding over the trial, uh, however, ruled that the charges themselves would remain on the record. So this is going to be our little oh, man. legal limit or legal <laughs> minute part two. Um, Roller coaster. So the way this works is that even though he wasn't convicted of the charges, they remain on his board of probation record. Um, according to Dominic L. Pang, he's a criminal defense attorney who writes for avo.com. Um, the record, quote, the record will reflect that the charge was dismissed, but often the damage will have been done by merely the creation of a criminal record as potential employers or schools will not bother to inquire further into the charge and give the person a chance to explain. Mm -hmm. Um, So Ernest actually appealed this decision to keep these charges on his record. um, And in a legal brief that he wrote, yeah, um, he wrote that the sexual assault charges could hinder his chance on proving his innocences in the near future because during this time he was also working on an appeal of his death sentences to get them, I think, changed to life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the appeal, the judge really refused to expunge the charges, noting that he had only been acquitted of those charges because he had murdered the only witnesses to the sexual right. offenses. Um they also said that he wasn't entitled to relief because the abuses were, quote, inextricably tied to the murders and that For the prosecutors, sake, yeah. right, um, the prosecutors might need to refer to these charges as a motive if Ernest was to win a new trial in any sort of capacity, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, and this ruling was, it was pretty recent, it was from uh, 2013. Okay. Um, so... I thought that was kind of interesting because I, I guess I didn't realize that the charges themselves would stay on your record. Mm-hmm. And 
it also kind of made me think of this case that we talked about at the beginning of the show where these extra things are having an effect on his appeals processes. Yeah, so he's trying yeah. to get that fixed. Um, of course, this whole time, Ernest was insisting his innocence, um, like you do. And <laughs> he even attempted to receive a payout from Jean's life insurance policy. Oh my fucking God, these people. Talk about <laughs> scumbag. <laughs> um... So the policy itself was worth $25,000. And in 2012, there was a civil complaint filed by uh, State Farm asking for a ruling guaranteeing neither Ernest nor Scott would receive any of the money because the two were listed as beneficiaries on the life insurance policy. And it was like, would any, if anything would happen to, um, Ernest Scott would receive that money. Uh, See, now that makes me feel like he's more into it than he was letting on. Scott? The brother, yeah. Um, he could have been. I'm not sure. Um, I'm Because I'm also not... Sh- I don't think that Scott himself has tried to make any claim to the money either. Um, or really, like, made any attempt at appealing to get out of jail or like mm-hmm. any like he's based to me it seems like he's basically copped up to his crimes and helped out the prosecution so like i don't know i feel part of me feels like he was kind of duped into it you know what i mean yeah. which sucks but oh well that's life i guess <laughs> <laughs> um so I didn't really find anything additional on the case as far as, like, the civil case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm assuming that they're never going to pay that money out because of the whole, like, profiting off of your victims thing. Right. A lot of state has a lot of states have laws that you cannot profit off of um, your victims f- for, like, if you were to murder somebody. Specifically for this reason, if you were to murder somebody and try to get their life insurance policy, you can't profit off of that. Yeah. Um, so, Ernest is currently on death row. He's awaiting an execution date, and Scott is still serving his time in prison. As you should, you fucking douche. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, seriously, like, Ernest has continued to appeal. He keeps hey, wait, these things. isn't there an Ernest goes to jail? Is there? There is. Oh, oh my God, Vicky. Is it, is it based off of this? No. Oh. He goes to jail. Oh my god, that is totally a thing. Oh my god. Hold on. Oh, yep. We it went is. this entire it episode came out in 1990. <sighs> and, and we didn't even think about it. Yeah, let's see. He's a janitor for a bank who gets called for jury duty. Jury duty. He sounded just yeah. like him. <laughs> uh, who gets called for jury duty. It turns out that the murder defendant, Felix Nash, is a dead ringer for Ernest. Yeah, because he's like an evil Ernest with like a slick mustache. Like oh my god, Bizarro I remember Ernest. these. Yes. <laughs> How did this dude make money off of these films? I just don't understand. I couldn't tell you. Ugh, well, apparently he went to jail on that one, so... Well, Ernest goes to jail. Legitimately took me the entire episode to fucking remember that fucking movie. Half the episode. Uh, the entire part of your episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> now it's my turn! <laughs> 
my turn for a wonderful Christmas time murder story. I should have brought my sleigh bell. I have a sleigh bell that I put on my front door like handle. It's all like when someone opens the door. Yeah, I'm extra. Do you demand Um, that people use that instead of the doorbell? Well, my doorbell's broken, so... (laughs) Fair. What if I just break your window with the sleigh bells? It's not that Merry Christmas, motherfuckers! No, it's, like, on the handle. Like, the handle handle. How are you gonna break it? Just take it off the handle. On a leather strap. Yeah. It's, like, that big. If you hit anything hard enough... Ugh. Anyway, I'm never inviting you over to my home again. Fine. (laughs) I understand. Good. (laughs) I'm glad we have an understanding. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) my story is going to be pretty gruesome. I apologize ahead of time. Please turn it off if you don't want to hear about. We're just going all the way to more children being murdered on Christmas. (laughs) Okay, so. December 24th, 2008. December. December. Sorry, I'm a little nasally right now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> December 24th. December, December, December. Remember, remember, it's not November, it's 24th December. 24th of December. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 2008 at 11.30 p.m. Uh, in Covina, California, a jolly fat man dressed in a Santa suit carrying a large box approaches the family home of the Ortegas. This sounds now, innocent, right? I can only assume that a man described as jolly and dressed in a Santa suit was St. Nicholas? St. Nicholas, more like it. Oh, but no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Janelle. He's Santa Claus, but C-L-A-W-S? No? Okay. (laughs) I'll try again. Um, So, upon opening the door, the man dressed as Santa opened fire with a 9mm semi-automatic shotgun. Say that 20 times fast. It sounds like the opening to a Christmas horror movie. Yeah. Or like in Home Alone, isn't there like a part where the guy like uncovers the gun while he's shooting and he's watching that movie? Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Yes. See? It's like Home Alone. Um... (laughs) So this is the Covina Massacre, perpetrated by none other than Bruce Pardo. Dun, dun, dun. This is kind of recent, <laughs> and I remember this in the news. Um, so 2004, Bruce Pardo met his future wife, Sylvia Orza. The couple was wed on January 2006, um, so they weren't together for very long, Um but soon after their marriage, uh, had started to fall apart. So they got married, and like a few months later, they're like, "Nah, we're good. <laughs> it's time to separate." <laughs> how long did did you say how long they had been together before they got married? It was like a year and a half. Oh. So it was the end of two thousand and four, and they got married in January of two thousand and six. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. so it was like a year and a half that they were together. So technically. it wasn't necessary. I mean, it wasn't like a hey, we just met and two weeks later we're getting married. No, kind of but gotcha. I mean, that's still kind of a short period of time. I mean, to be fair, you have dated your boyfriend for like ten years. Not like ten years. Ten years. Ten years. I'm just <laughs> Is it dating anymore? Anything, anything <laughs> under ten years, not a legitimate yeah, marriage. Sorry, how long have you guys been together? A measly year. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Try a decade, bitch. No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so when, um, 
things started to kind of go awry when Bruce Pardo refused to open a joint bank account with the missus. So he was like, no, you keep your money, I'll keep mine, thanks. Um, He also expected his wife to take care of her own three children from a previous marriage with her own money. It's just, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because that made me think of the, there's that episode of the IT crowd where she goes on that date with the guy and they go to the tapas place. He says, I'm sorry, but I don't like sharing. <laughs> That's what that made me think of. Um, it's tapas. You have yeah. to share. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I remember. Sorry. Far back in the reaches Nerd of my mind. Nerd alert. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so... He refused to open a bank account. He told her that she had to take care of her own children from a previous marriage with her own money. He's not going to help out at all. Um, the marriage officially ended in June of 2008 when Sylvia filed for divorce. So they were married for a year and a half. They were together a year and a half. And they were married for a year and a half. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Um... They speculated that the divorce may have been caused by Pardo, you know, obviously, the two reasons previously, but he also um, was concealing a child from a previous relationship. What? Yes. That is some L. Ron Hubbard shit right there. It is. Unfortunately, too, the child was injured in a swimming pool accident a few oh, years no. prior, so he was, like, giving them financial assistance. So it's almost like a secret second family. It is basically kind of a secret second family, yeah. So, yikes. Um, the court had ordered Bruce to pay Sylvia spousal support to the tune of $1,785 a month. Damn. Wait, how many kids did they have? They didn't or have any kids together. Support, yeah, said. so it was spousal support. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Um, he also had to pay $10,000 as part of the divorce settlement. Um, so that's a big chunk of change on top of spousal support. Yeah. Um, Pardo complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had spent lavishly on a luxury car. She went on a gambling trip to Las Vegas. She was eating fine meals at a rest, like really ritzy restaurants. She was getting massages on a weekly basis and golf lessons. So he was stating that she was misusing the spousal support and the... Uh, he went back to court to have it like re. I forget what it's called to re- be reviewed. Now, um, is I my question about spousal support would be: Is it meant to cover necessities? Yeah, like if you are not able to support yourself without your spouse. Yeah, so she didn't have a job, and she had okay. three children from a previous marriage that okay. she was it had full custody of and had to take care of. Right. Um, so she argued, obviously, that she could not take care of the children without okay. support. Um, special support getting, is a tricky thing. Then she was getting golf lessons. <laughs> yeah, and right. And going, garage. and she yeah. was living with her parents, which I don't know how she was awarded spousal, that much spousal support if she was living with somebody else. She wouldn't have like rent or a mortgage or exactly. anything like that. Yeah. Um, but she also, <laughs> the other thing, she also, out of this divorce settlement, she got to keep her wedding ring and Ooh. the family dog, oh. which is like, I mean, obviously she has the kids. I can understand the dog. But the wedding ring part, I mean... Well, part of me... So here's my other thing, too, is I'm thinking if you're fighting for spousal support and you are saying, I need money to afford to pay for my kids and my house and whatever else, (laughs) and then you take the dog on top of that, then you have to pay for the dog. Like, I'm surprised they wouldn't award custody of the dog to the 
the guy husband, who could afford to yeah, pay for it. I don't know. I feel like because you the, know? she had all the kids mm-hmm. and you want to keep, you know, the dog with the kids, I can understand that. But, yeah. like, the wedding ring, like, you obviously don't give a shit. Why do you want it? Yeah. <laughs> you could also just pawn it for money, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, he often told friends, um during all of this, that Sylvia was, like, taking him to, him to the cleaners, and it was just, like, a big fucking mess. So, not only was all of that happening, but in July of 2008, he was fired from his job as an electrical engineer at ITT Electronic Systems for billing false hours. Okay. So, saying that he was Starting working overtime. fraudulent. Saying he was working overtime and he wasn't there. Okay. So during this period of time when he was unemployed, uh, the court suspended his his payments of spouse support due to hardship. Um, however, when that happens, you have to be actively looking for a job. Okay. If you're not actively looking for a job, like you have to turn in like forms, like oh, I, I went and applied like, um, here um, and here and here. Uh, unemployment. Exactly. Like, to get unemployment benefits. I think you have to actively be looking mm-hmm. for employment. The also tricky thing is that they can still accrue the spousal support payments. So it's suspended, oh. but that doesn't mean you're not going to have to pay it back. Yeah. So he was basically racking up a bill Jeez. while he had to look for a job. Okay. And I mean, how are you going to find a job if you were fired? For billing false hours. Yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> so, right? They're always <laughs> hiring. So this is what they, the, you know, investigators believe really tipped him over and put him on his killing spree. So he had disguised himself as Santa to get entrance into the home where Sylvia's parents were having their regular family get together. There's about 25 family members there. So once he entered, he shot the niece of Sylvia that she was, like, right within the doorway because she was the one approaching because mm-hmm. obviously it's fucking Santa and she's, like, nine years old. I feel like it wouldn't have worked as well <clears throat> if he dressed as, say, a T-Rex or... I think what if he showed would up have as, ran towards a T-Rex. What if he showed up as Jesus <laughs> instead of Santa? I mean... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, that's not the... Sorry. With or without the holes in the hands? I mean... <laughs> How gruesome what of a Jesus. Was it? It was is it Christmas zombie Eve? Jesus? Yeah. But my so when I'm reading all this and researching it, I'm like, my question is, how do they not fucking recognize him? Also, why weren't they like who ordered the Santa? Or like, it could have been the dankest Santa who, suit ever. Who just like, let, like who is Santa? Who is this person? I'm sorry. Unless every single one of them was like, oh, so-and-so must have blah, 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 and they just all thought the that other had done it. biggest question during yeah. this whole thing. I'm like, why didn't anyone recognize him, first of all? Yeah. I mean, he just has a fake beard on. You can still see his fucking eyes. Now, I will say, <laughs> if I have a Santa show... Well, I don't know about now, but in my... Before my mind was open to the world of everybody killing each other, <laughs> um, if a Santa were to show up on my doorstep, I'd probably at least open the door to figure out what was going on and at that point you can like push your way in or you know I'm gonna tell you something if someone comes to my door and I don't recognize them or did not ask them to come over I will not open it no I won't even answer the door even for Santa nope 
What if it's the Even real Santa? Even for the Santa? fucking mailman that what I see every day. What if the real Santa and you're like, Chris the myth. fuck out of here. <laughs> and he just like walks away and he's like, but you know, I've been watching you for 30 years. And Why are you watching enough. me, you fucking voyeur? Because he sees you when you're <laughs> sleeping and he knows when you're that awake. That is grounds for me to get a restraining order. <laughs> Excuse me. Santa has been watching me sleeping for 30 years. That's uh, unacceptable. There needs order. to be some voyeur laws going off on Restrain here. Restrain that Santa. <laughs> Strain him. No, I literally <laughs> will not open the door for anyone. I won't even get up off the couch. I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm not answering this door. We don't, you know what? I feel like the instances of people like randomly coming to our door have gone down so much. I don't care. Since <laughs> internet. Also, I'm just like, I'm not, well, like, what do you have? If you have nothing for me. I did. Yeah. I think <laughs> the only random people we get at our door now are either Jehovah Witness or. Um, like politicians when they're doing yeah. door to doors. So basically, all the things I would never open the door for. <laughs> yeah, basically, or Amazon, FedEx, UPS. Yeah, they leave them. And yeah. if I need to sign for something, I know which packages I have to sign for. So yeah. don't come at me like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so come at me with your knocking on my door and shit. Um, <laughs> so he shot the little girl, injured her. Then he began just, like, shooting indiscriminately, spraying the entire party. He shot a 16-year-old girl in the back, injured her, and then there was a woman who, like, jumped out a window and injured her ankle, what? and he, like, was shooting at her. Yeah. That's some crazy... The only injury sustained, though, was the broken ankle from jumping out the window. He didn't actually shoot her. She wow. was like, bye! Also, this is why I thought this case would be so fun to cover, because it's almost one of those moments that, like, you literally cannot write the shit that is happening. No, it is a movie. In this scene. Like, the amount of craziness that happened in such a short period of time is like, holy fuck. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fucked. Um, <clears throat> so I'm gonna run down a little list... Of the people that actually perished, not a whole lot of people were killed. A lot of people were injured, though. Um, man. Okay. So, obviously, he killed his ex-wife, Sylvia, um, with a gunshot wound to the head. Um, he also killed Sylvia's mother, Alicia Sotomayor Ortega. She was wow, shot in you the- rattled that off. Hey, like you, you practiced it. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> Good job. Um, she was shot in the stomach. And then Joseph Ortega, the father, was also, he was shot multiple times. And her parents were like in their late 70s, early 80s. Wow. So it's like little old ladies and men there, like just having Christmas. Yeah. Eating a nice big dinner, having some music. Just like fucking crazy sauce. Yeah. So... Next. (laughs) He unwrapped the package that he was carrying, and inside was a homemade fucking flamethrower. Flamethrower for Christmas. Now, this is the part where everyone dies from being burned. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, only three people died from being shot. Now, this is the list of people who died from the flamethrower. Was this Um, this at a house or an apartment? It was inside of a house. Okay. So, he was... He shot up these people. Once he was out of bullets, he unwrapped this package, and there was literally a homemade flamethrower full of racing fuel, which is, like, the highest oh flammability God. you could That's ever have. That's crazy. I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? A flamethrower? Why do you gotta go so hard? <laughs> Christmas? Christmas time. <laughs> um, so, Charles Ortega, which is Sylvia's brother, uh, Cheryl Lynn Ortega, which was her sister-in-law, James Ortega, which was a brother, 
Teresa Ortega, um, the wife. Alicia Ortega Ortiz was a sister. And then uh, Michael Andre Ortiz, which was a 17-year-old son of Alicia. They were all um, killed from the flamethrower. So Wow. He lit this entire fucking house up. Yeah. And there was so much racing fuel that the flames were 40 to 50 feet high. Wow. Coming off this fucking house. It took 80 firefighters two hours to extinguish it. Were they even able to, like, save any of the house? I can't imagine no, anything was left. it was left. leveled. Basically, yeah. everyone who couldn't get out of the house died in the fire. Wow. It's just... That's insane. ...out of control. So, after he lit the house up, he fled to a rental car that he had parked a few blocks away. He drove it to his brother's house. Um, when police reached the home, um, Pardo was dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So this is like the weird part. He had $17,000 cling wrapped to the inside of his leg. Okay. Okay. Weird. There was also a plane ticket to Canada in a duffel bag with his belongings booked for the following morning. Okay. okay. He there's also phone records of him calling a friend in Canada and they contacted the friend in Canada and they were like, "Okay, what did you discuss?" He's like, "Oh, he was going to come up here and visit me." Yeah. So that's what the plane ticket to Canada was. Really weird. Something even weirder. So the police went to go find the rental car he was using, and they found it a block away from his brother's house. And in the car was the rest of the remnants of his Santa suit. And it was rigged to detonate with black gunpowder upon the removal of it. What? So they blew up the whole fucking car. (laughs) Wait, upon the removal from the car? Yeah, so when you open the door and you go to lift up the jacket, it was Mm -hmm. rigged. To detonate once the jacket was lifted. To ignite the whole car with black powder. Interesting. So, they blew up the entire car. Wow. um, Bomb unit. (laughs) I was going to say, none of them were hurt. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, And then when they searched Pardo's actual house, they found a cache of guns. Yeah. And what was described as, like, a literal bomb-making factory. Wow. Yeah, and they questioned, well, at the time, the brother wasn't at the house, and they questioned, like, they questioned him, and they were like, well, did you know, you know, what was going on? Well, he's like, I didn't even know he was coming over. And he had a key, so it was, like, no big deal. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it just took a bizarre twist, because, like, he, he killed himself, but then he had all of these things set up to, like, flee the country. He, like, cling-wrapped money to his fucking leg. Like, this is a movie. This entire well, thing is, is a movie. It is really unusual because a lot of times when you talk about people who are committing suicide, um, they don't necessarily plan anything anything past the the moment that exactly. they are going to do the act. And he rigged the car to blow up to get rid of evidence. So it's like... Yeah. What? <laughs> well, and the fact... It almost seems to me like maybe something might have gone wrong, that mm-hmm. he felt like that was the only option because... Having to buy a plane ticket and having everything packed and ready to go, like, definitely does not signify that he was planning on to kill himself. Killing, yeah. killing himself. So the theory that they came up with was um, 
he had actually burned himself pretty badly uh... while he was torching the house. And the police figured that that was probably, like, too much of a tell that he had done it. And he was like, well, I might as well just off myself oh, instead of yeah, going gotcha. through with, you know, right. trying to escape because it's just gonna, I'm just going to wind up in jail anyway. Probably the death penalty. Yeah. So, yeah. Damn. That was the Covina Massacre. Ooh. <sighs> Twists and turns. Talk about Mary and Bright. God. Bright indeed. <laughs> wow, that was intense. See, yeah. now you can understand why it would... It's a... It's a really interesting story, but it is also just so fucked. Like, if you have a gripe with your, like, ex-wife, try not to take out her whole family just because you're a little salty. Like... Oh my gosh. Yeah, no kidding. Get your shit together, dude. Who do you really have to blame? Only your shitty self. Santa. Blame the Santa. Dear Santa! (laughs) I've been so good. Please give me my job back. (laughs) So, Janelle, I know that was super great. Great. But maybe you need just, like, a little something to clear all the murder out of your brain. I need a palate cleanser. Just, like, a little something? A podcast palate cleanser? Why don't you check this one out? Okay. Need an escape? Vanish into the depths of a magic forest. Head out on an interstellar repair mission. Travel back in time to change the future. Explore inside someone or something else. Meet dragons, werewolves... Birds, bears, aliens, mermen, and a man with a fishbowl for a head. All in 10 minutes or less every week. Tune in to 600 Second Saga for your weekly science fiction and fantasy escape. Um, so you might have, might have noticed that we just played a podcast promo. Yes. This is going to be something we're doing soon mm-hmm. now. Soon. Now. Right here. We're doing right it now. now. <laughs> um, so we've decided that we want to start supporting other small, independently produced podcasts. And we want to have the opportunity to share um, straight from the horse's mouth, I guess, for yeah. lack of a better word. Um, we're also not going to be playing promos that are not something that we've already listened to. And or, yeah. like, we're not going to play you stuff that we don't like. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So the this ones are suggestion. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the trailer that you guys just heard was for 600 second saga, which I did get a chance to listen to first one. I was telling Janelle this the other day, the first one very much reminded me of like black mirror, mm-hmm. um, kind of super creepy. And they're great. If you need just like a little 10 minute, like, break yes perfect for that From so check all it the out killing yes. <laughs> check it out um we are also one week away from Christmas, <laughs> so if you need any last minute Christmas presents, get on it. You might want to check out the merch store. Yeah. We got gifts for everybody. You Little mean, mugs? Yeah, your mom bags, needs a mug. T-shirts. Your dad definitely needs a T-shirt. You want an old spinster pencil case? We got, got that. <laughs> we got that for you. So go put a spinster on it. Put a spinster. Um. So we got that. Uh, check it yes. out. Lots of great stuff up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Patreon, hello. Yeah, if you <laughs> like what you're hearing and you want to support the show, you can donate to our Patreon. Yes. If you don't <laughs> want to make a recurring donation, you can also donate to our PayPal, mm-hmm. uh, at gmail.com. Yes. Did we have any <laughs> iTunes reviews or anything No like iTunes that this reviews. Week? I do okay. have a shout out. Okay. Um, just a reminder, if you do 
you know, get on our Patreon. Our 25 Days of Murder promo is winding down. I know. Oh, yeah. It's been a marathon of just non-stop murder. murder Literally, I'm just, like, talking in my sleep about the stuff that I'm <laughs> doing for so the Patreon. So far, in fact, you can't just start recording yourself in your sleep so you remember what you're oh saying the next day. That would and be really interesting. It. I should do that. I <sighs> definitely don't want to do that. I don't want to know what I'm saying that night. Oh, my gosh. I say weird shit in my <laughs> sleep. I'm, I have, like, a lot of lucid dreams. And I, oh. and I, it's not good. I woke up in the middle of the night once. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I woke up in the middle of the night once and just sat up and just casually said out loud while my boyfriend was sleeping next to me, he's like, what the fuck? I was like, there's someone in the house. And then I laid back down. <laughs> and he's like, you literally told me there's someone in the house. I got so freaked out that I got up and looked around the oh house. Oh my gosh. Like, I have I really bad dreams. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, there's oh not anyone my in the house. God. Uh, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> yes, ta- oh, shout out. Shout outs. <laughs> yes. Now you know how fucked up I am psychologically. Um, we would like to shout out, uh, Zach Colby. Oh, because yeah. Because he Ugh. made us the most fucking magnificent fan art painting. I literally, when he gave it to me, I squealed, yeah. like, in his face. I was like, I wasn't there, but I heard about it. <laughs> I will say, so, true story, funny story. Um, Janelle, when we went out, um, not long ago, said, I want to surprise you and bring it on and have you see it for, like, the first time on the podcast. And then after we had a couple of drinks, I went back to their place to go hang out with her and her boyfriend for a little bit, and there it was. Sitting at the kitchen table, and I was like, like "Fuck, it's ruined." Whoops. So it's so Unsee fucking it. <laughs> cool, though. I'm it's so beautiful. excited. Thank you, Zach, so much. It is yes. amazing. He is a great artist. Yes, check um, out his stuff. He yeah. has um, a little like, com- would you call it a comic or a graphic novel? I'm s- those terms they are one and the same to me. But d- don't yell at me. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get a lot of. A lot I know. Of hate now. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if it's a graphic novel or a comic. One of the two. It's called uh, Burger Boy Adventures. You can check it out on Facebook. He has a Patreon himself. That's awesome. Um, he's selling stickers right now. They're really fucking cool. Yeah. It's, that's check amazing. it out. No, Zach's a, <laughs> Zach's a cool dude. Um, I'm not nerdy enough to so differentiate the two in my mind. It's okay. Right. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that there's like a level of nerdy you have to be. I'm just I know they're two different things, there, but really but, in yeah. my mind, they're not. <laughs> I'm going to wait <laughs> until after the minute we stop recording for Tip to run back out here and be <laughs> and like, yell in my face. <laughs> oh, uh. man. Too awesome. So if you like this episode and you want to find more episodes like this, you can can find those at badtastecrimecast.com. You can also subscribe to our social networks at... Twitter, BT Crimecast. <laughs> Twitter at BT Crimecast. Instagram, uh-huh. Bad Taste Crimecast. Facebook, Bad Taste Crimecast. Okay. Do we have Twitter's the stuff? only different one. Yeah. Um, no, not right now. I'm, I mean... Maybe, you know, we'll we'll think of other things. I'm sure we'll tack but on stuff. Currently, that's all we yes. have. <laughs> yes. So, first, before we end, we want to say a special thank you to Tiff Weech for our sound and editing. Mm-hmm. And an mm-hmm. extra special thank you to Z- Jason Zekshevsky. You did it! <laughs> the enigma. I did have him send me a phonetic spell or a phonetic spelling of his name. So oh my god! Yeah, it only took almost Woo-hoo. a year. <laughs> Whatever. What do you want for me? I'm not perfect. God's working on all of us, as Jesus and Miro would say. Please stop your sorry. <laughs> anyway, on that note, have a great holiday, you guys. Yes. Please don't murder anyone. Be safe. Yeah. If someone comes anybody. to your door dressed as Santa and you didn't order a Santa. 
don't open it. <laughs> and if you do open it, definitely do not open the presents that they're carrying because it could yeah, be a flamethrower. It's a flamethrower. Well, actually, that might be fun. Oh. <laughs> well, it's not on people. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. And Wait for it. <laughs> I have no information to add to the conversation.